0: Romans chapter 8, and beginning with verse 35, if you're there, say amen. The Apostle Paul writing it, I think, one of the most powerful passages in the Word, one of the most powerful passages that even the great Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, 35 through 39, and he begins and he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. Which simply means we're going to go through some stuff. And we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And tonight I want to minister a word just using the words of, from the Apostle Paul. Nothing shall separate us from his love. Nothing shall separate us from his love. Let's pray tonight. Father, we just come before you tonight in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for your anointing that is here. And Lord, I ask you for your anointing to minister, Lord, your spirit and your liberty, God, to speak your word. And Lord, your anointing upon us here tonight to receive. And those listening by radio and watching by television, your anointing upon them to believe and to receive. And God, we say it all in the wonderful name of Jesus, amen and amen. You know, I'm praying about tonight's service. The Lord laid this passage of Scripture on my heart, and as I read through it and studied it, you know, uh, the tone in which Paul, at least the way I feel it, the way I sense it in my heart when I read these words of the Apostle Paul, it's like there's a tone to his words. That when he wrote these words, he's asking the question again in verse 35, and, and in this passage also in verse 30, uh, in verse, uh, well, in verse 35, he asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it's as if Paul is not only writing to those in the church of Rome and the churches in the surrounding area, it's as if Paul is writing even to the devil himself and telling the devil and all and for all all affliction all adversity all persecution everything that would come against us as the child of god that there is nothing that will separate us from the power of his love nothing that will separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus nothing nothing will separate us from his love you know the book of romans where i think one of the most powerful books in the the whole Bible. I think really the greatest book, most important book that Paul wrote, the book of Romans. In Romans six through eight, as those of you that are part of this ministry or if you're familiar with this ministry at all, we emphasize Romans six through eight. And the reason why is because of the emphasis that Paul put upon sanctification in these chapters. You and I can learn about sanctification and grow in sanctification really from anything written in God's Word, amen? But in, this, in these three chapters, Romans 6, 7, and 8, Paul emphasized the work of sanctification. Sanctification is that, is that work of the Holy Spirit in us in which he is forming us and changing us into the image of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing more wonderful than that work then that process, that work of sanctification that is going on in the inside. You know, the, Paul would describe it in the book of Romans. In Romans five, 4 and 5, he would tell us that we have been justified by faith. Romans 6 through 8, he would tell us that we are being sanctified by that same faith. And also in Romans 8, he would tell us that one day we shall be glorified. So we have been justified, we have legally been declared righteous in the eyes of God. We are being sanctified, being changed, being made pure, being made holy, being formed into the image of Jesus, into his character. Step by step, little by little, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept. And we are waiting for that day in which we shall be glorified, will be raptured, will be resurrected. But Paul, in these three chapters, he's talking about that process in the middle of the bookends of our life, justification and glorification. And in the middle is that long, lifelong process of being sanctified, being sanctified. Formed into the image of Jesus. I'm looking at some people tonight that are being sanctified. Hallelujah. I'm looking at some people tonight. You're looking at a preacher that's being sanctified. I'm being formed into the image of Christ. And so are you if you know Christ. And if your faith is in the right object. He's changing you. Hallelujah. He's changing you. Being sanctified. You know, this past January, about beginning in January, a little before January, I just began to really go through some affliction. And you've heard, I've heard the testimony of, of, of many others that seemed like this year, earlier this year, there was a lot of just the attack of the enemy against his people. And I went through the same thing and just be in discouragement at just the attack of the enemy. Went through several months of that. I just feel it and just fighting against it in the name of Christ. Just pressing through it. And about late March and several months of just the attack of the enemy and really feeling it in my spirit. One day in prayer, I asked the Lord as I was feeling really coming out of that, and I, I, I said, "God, Lord, what was that? What was that all about?" You ever asked the Lord that? <laughs> so, what was that attack all about? feel like I got hit by a truck. What was that all about? And I was just asking the Lord those questions, and you know, the Lord's not intimidated by our questions as long as we ask in faith. So I was asking the Lord those questions, and the Lord spoke to me just some simple words, and I really wasn't, I wasn't really looking for some detailed answer from God, but just some answer from the Lord, a word from God. God spoke to my heart after that season of spiritual attack from the enemy. And God spoke to me and said, I am sanctifying you. Mm. So I went through all that because I'm being sanctified. And that was exactly what the Lord was doing in me. And that is exactly what God is doing in you. He is sanctifying you. Hallelujah. And there ain't nothing better than that as a child of God being formed and changed into the likeness of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, it's such a powerful chapter. Paul began or begins Romans chapter 8 with there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And he ends Romans chapter 8 with, there is no separation from the love of Christ. No condemnation and no separation. Mm, You can live off that. No condemnation to those who are in Christ. No separation from his love. But in Romans chapter 8, one of the things that Paul dealt with is he dealt with the trials and the afflictions and the adversity that you and I will go through as a child of God in the sanctification process. Because Paul outlines how the cross is the basis of our sanctification. Our faith, the same faith that God has justified is the same faith we need to be properly sanctified. Faith in Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary. But as we live by faith in the finished work of the cross, you and I as a child of God are going to go through some stuff. We're going to go through some afflictions. We're going to go through some trials. Paul used some words to describe what you and I will go through as a child of God in the sanctification process. For example, in verse 18, he used the word suffering which can be translated afflictions or difficulties. In verse 23, he said that we groan within ourselves. In verse 26, he said that we are weak. And in verse 35, he used other words to describe what we'll go through in this life, distress and persecution. And the reality of it in in, in our life as a child of God in the process of sanctification you're gonna go through some things. You're gonna go through difficult times. You're gonna go through some times of suffering and affliction. I know I don't have to belabor the point with you. I think you know that tonight, amen? We're gonna go through some things. Now, when Paul used these words to describe what's gonna happen in the sanctification process, when he used those words of suffering and affliction, adversity, weakness, and groaning with ourselves. He was not describing the, the whole of the Christian life. He was not describing necessarily how we live, that we just barely make it through life, or, you know, being a Christian is all about suffering, or being a Christian is all about being afflicted. No, because that's not true. Because being a Christian is, in reality, the most wonderful life a believer or a person could have knowing Jesus, being a follower of Christ. If it ain't, then something bad is wrong. But it is, knowing Jesus and following Jesus. So being a Christian, it's not like, it's not like we're to look like we're sucking lemons and that we've been baptized in vinegar. Barely making it through life, I'm one of those Christians. I'll get to heaven one day, I'm one of those Christians. Woe is me. Now, that's not real, true, biblical Christianity. Not at all. But even though you and I will go through some things in this life, look at the way that Paul described it. Can you go to verse 18 of Romans chapter 8 for a moment? Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Paul said this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now what we go through in this life, it cannot compare with the glory of God that you and I would experience in the resurrection. The, the people without Christ, those that are unsaved, they don't have that hope. But you and I as a child of God have that hope. You put all of the things that you and I go through in this world and they can compare to the glory of God that you and I would experience. The resurrection, the rapture, is coming. I said the resurrection, the rapture, is coming. It could happen at any moment. Hallelujah. You see, you're not living just—you're for this world. You're living for a different world. You're living for heaven. Hallelujah. You're citizens of a different country. You're not citizens, really, of this world. You're just passing through. Hallelujah. And they can't compare all the sufferings to the glory that shall await you and I as a child of God. In verse 28, can you skip down to verse 28 for a moment, Romans chapter 8. Paul said this. He said, And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. And we know that all things things and all things in this passage includes all the affliction, all the trials, all the adversity that we go through. All the all even all the attack of the enemy. Those attacks of the enemy, Paul said, they're all working together for the good to those who love God. Do you love God tonight? Amen. Are you called according to his purpose, which is to be changed into the likeness of Jesus? Are you called tonight? Then God is working all things out together for your good. Mm. That's, not ju- that's not a feel-good message. It's the truth. It's the truth. You know, those words work together in this passage, "Sooner sunergeo in the Greek, and it means to call that. It speaks of or has the idea of, of things cooperating with each other. Of Various different things working together for a common cause, for one goal. Different things, that thing and that thing and that thing and that thing, working together for a common goal. It can be put into the, or you could use this as an illustration of it, it's like a team of doctors or, and nurses that are working on a patient that's been injured. And that, or a person that is, has has a serious illness, and they're working on that patient, and they're and they're cutting and they're sewing and they're taking out and putting in all for the purpose of making that patient whole. You see, all the things that you have gone through, and maybe even right now are going through right now tonight. All of those things are working together. I said, they're working together. Hallelujah. They're working together. It's not in vain. In reality, it's a normal part of the process. I said, a normal part of the process. You are not going what you're going through in some unique way. Like, like I'm the only one. Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? We feel like we're the only ones. We, we would never say that. May, they may not come out of our mouth, but we can see, feel that way. We can sense it in our hearts at times. I'm the only one, but you're not the only one. Peter would say, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. You are going through the normal process. You know, back in January, early January, I had sinus surgery, and oh, Lord, I never want to do that again. I never want to go through sinus surgery again but the, good, the doctor he was a good doctor the last words that he spoke to me before the surgery and Sharon was in the room and she can vouch for me and the last words that he said to me was you're about to experience a lot of pain <laughs> but it's normal and then he walked out of the room (laughs) i was like i I, did i just hear what i think i heard he was a wonderful doctor but he lacked a little bit in sympathy (laughs) you're about to experience a lot of pain but it's completely normal and you know what he was exactly right i did experience a lot of pain He showed me the tool that they used which made a a cut and it grinded and it sucked. Cut and grinded and sucked. And I I wasn't gonna name the message tonight, cut, grind, and suck, but I didn't think that would. (laughs) I didn't think that would work. (laughs) Cut, grind, and suck. But you know what, tonight in the trials and all the affliction that we go through, what God is doing, what the great physician is doing, is he is performing surgery on you. Hey, hallelujah. He's performing surgery on us. Because in and of ourselves, because of sin, we are afflicted. We have been wounded by the fall. And we need some Holy Ghost surgery with the great physician in control. And that's what's happening. That's, what hap- that's what's happening. Surgery. God's cut some things and taken it out and he's putting his good in. Mm, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I said he's taking some things out and he's putting his good in. Hey, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> And so God's performing surgery on us. All things are working together for the good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. But the way that Paul closed this chapter out, this chapter, this section, I should say, that deals with sanctification, is he dealt with the love of God, the love that God has for us. It's really in this passage with these words, Paul is really not talking about our love for God as important as that is, but he's talking about the love that he has for us. The great love that the Father, the great love that our Savior has for us. A couple years ago, the Lord really began to open my eyes to it like I had never seen it before, how the cross is so much the love that God has for us. The message of the cross, the very heart of it all, the gospel, is his great love that he has for us and the whole world. You may say, well, Brother Bob, didn't you know that already? Well, I did, but there's a lot of things we know but don't really know. And there are some things that we even know. We do know it in our spirit. But his love and everything that God has for us is so wonderful. It's so great that you and I will never know it all. And there's more that God wants to reveal to us. More that God wants to open up to you. More about the cross. More about Jesus, his person, who he is. More about all he did for you at Calvary. More about his word. More about the Holy Spirit. There's more that God wants to open your eyes about he wants to open your he wants us to see him more. He wants us to see the cross more. And about two years ago, the Lord really began to open my eyes to I begin to see it like never before. How the cross is the love of God for us. In first John, Paul John explains it so well. And Paul, in certain passages, he explains it. But in this passage, Paul closed. This last section, this section dealing with sanctification, emphasizing the love of God. And why did he do so? Again, Paul dealt with trials, and he dealt with the affliction and the adversity that you and I will go through as a child of God. And all those things, again, are a part of the process. But, you know, it's in the trials and in the affliction and in even the times of persecution and the attack of the enemy That you and I as God's children can feel separated from his love. We can feel separated from the love, the great love that he has for us. When Paul would write it in verse 35, he would say, who can separate us from the love of Christ? He asked that, who can separate us? And he would give several things. And any of these things separate us from his love. And the answer, of course, is absolutely no. The word separate, it means to cause division. It means that there's a gap. It means that there's a divide. There's a space between God's love and ourself. It means to take away. You and I sometimes in our times of affliction and adversity and trial can feel as if we're separated from the Father's love for us. Get this, sometimes as a child of God, it's so easy to fall into this trap that we can view God's unconditional love conditionally. I said we can view God's unconditional love conditionally. Good day, he loves me. Bad day, I know he still loves me, but I sure don't feel, I sure, I wonder, I wonder if he does. Good day, he loves me. Bad day, he doesn't. Those words may not come out of our mouth, but in our spirit, we can operate that way. We can function that way. As if we're we're separated from the Father's love. Separated from his heart. You see, when you got saved, God went from being just your creator, and he became your father. I said, when you got saved, God went from being your creator to being your father. Jesus, in the Lord's prayer, he said, when you pray, say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, God is he's not, he's no longer living on Mount Sinai. You're not coming to Mount Sinai. A God who is looking or or waiting for your every false movement, your every mistake. That's not the God that you serve. It's waiting for every wrong thing you do so he can bring the smack down on you. But the God that you serve is a God that loves you. And he is your father tonight. And get this, the reality of it is this. Sometimes we can know things, but we really don't know it in our spirit and in this passage Paul when he wrote these words I believe that there was, uh, there was and Brother Swigert wrote it in verse 37 in the notes there was a, a holy arrogance there on the inside that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and he was speaking of the cross The cross is the place that God manifested his great love towards you and I, towards you personally. You have to forget about your neighbor for a moment and just you. He died for you. He loves you. Mm. When Paul wrote those words, there was a holy arrogance about it. And I believe that there was a holy arrogance in the heart of Paul. Because Paul had experienced that sense and that feeling of feeling separated from the Father's love. But he learned, I said he learned through the process of sanctification that there is nothing. There is no devil of hell. There is no principality. There is no trial. There's no long tongue that can separate him from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing nothing. And I believe that there ought to be, by the Holy Spirit, there ought to be a holy arrogance in our own heart. I know we don't put those words normally together, holy and arrogance, but it's a holy confidence, a holy boldness on the inside that can look the devil right in the face, that could look every adversity right in the face and say, I This thing is not separating me from my Father's love, but he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Hallelujah. He loves me. He loves me. His love is his unconditional, unselfish, sacrificial giving of himself. That's the agape love of God, the unconditional. It's unselfish. It's sacrificial. That's why the cross... As John was saying in 1 John 4 and verse 16, that his love is the cross. Paul would say it in Romans 5 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in that we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And there is a continual flow of the love of God that flows from Calvary. A continual flow. God loves us, he loves us. You know, I've learned in my own life, and I'm learning it more and more. I've got to a lot to learn. Got a lot to learn. I'm not the smartest branch on the tree. But I'm learning, and I'm growing. And as I learn, and as I grow in my knowledge of Christ, and as I grow in the love of God, I learn more and more every day that there is no separation from his love. Good day, bad day. Doesn't matter. Long tongue, short tongue, doesn't matter. He loves me. He loves me. You see, sometimes people are intimidated with the love of God. They're intimidated even to talk about the love of God at times. Because sometimes, well, not sometimes, so much in the church world today, the love of God has been abused. It's been misrepresented well, how has it been abused, Brother Bob? How is it misrepresented? It's abused in this way. It's the love of God is presented as if it's a license for us to sin. Well, God loves you. Go ahead. Do whatever you want. Those words may not be said, but that's the way it's presented. You can live any way you want to. Because, why? Because God loves you. But that's not the love of God. The love of God doesn't give us a license to do wrong. The, the true love of God doesn't, doesn't give us the, uh, the excuse for us not to engage ourselves in the Christian disciplines. Well, he loves me. Why? I, I just don't feel like praying, so I'm not going to pray. Why? It's because he loves me. That's on Monday. On Tuesday, I just don't feel like praying. Why? Because he loves me. Oh, that go- goes on the Wednesday. On Wednesday, I just don't feel like praying. Because- Why? Because he loves me. And after a while, you're using the love of God as an excuse, as an excuse not to pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. But that's not the love of God, an excuse not to seek the Lord, and a-, a license to just live any way you want to. In reality, the love of God is not weakness, but it is the most powerful motivating force on the face of the earth. You see, as God's people, there are so many things that will motivate us, good things. We will be motivated by the glory of God. We should. Paul would say that he said, do all things to the glory of God. Amen. Do all things to the glory of God. Whatever, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That is the motivation that we have or should have. The truth is a motivation in our heart. It must be the truth and not error. Holiness should be a motivation in our heart to be holy before him. But you see, the greatest motivation of all and really the motivation that causes us to have the right of motivation and all those other motivations is the love of God that he puts in us by his Holy Spirit. Paul would say that there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God that he has for us. You know what put Jesus on the cross? It was not some dead, dry, formal, rigid command from God that says, do it, redeem mankind. But it was his love, his great love that he has for us. His great love that he has for us. (laughs) His care (laughs) and his concern that he has for us. That's the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves us. And there is a continual flow of his love towards us. As his children of Paul would emphasize in this passage, there's nothing that will ever cause a separation between the Father's love and ourselves. In reality, the only thing that will ever cause really a separation there is our own unbelief. When we walk away from it, through our own unbelief, when we walk when a person walks away in their own unbelief and rebellion against the father's love that he has for them that's the only way that they and experientially that they walk away from it but even then god's hand is long his arm is long his hand is not short he's he's still reaching out like a father to the prodigal son he's reaching out even then there's no place even hell itself is not too far God will reach down and pick a person up. Hallelujah. He would say again, there's nothing that will separate us. And he would say in this passage, in verse 37, he would say, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now I think at times that we have a hard time even comprehending how we are conquerors through Christ. How much we are conquerors through Christ. But Paul would make the point that we are more than conquerors through Christ, through Him who loved us. More than conquerors. It's an awesome picture, more than conquerors, because you and I were faced with Satan. You and I and all humanity were faced with sin and faced with the bondages of sin. And you and I, are no, or, no, or anybody, is no match for Satan and the bondages of sin. No match. But what God did is he sent his son Jesus to fight a battle that you and I couldn't fight in. To win the battle that you and I couldn't win. And in a sense, in a figurative sense, God just told us to step aside and let Jesus, let Jesus, let my son fight your battle at the cross. You see, that's what the message of the cross is all about. You couldn't do it and you can't do it. And so just let me do it because it's already done at the cross. (laughs) And we are more than conquerors through Christ because he did it for us. He did it for us. We couldn't do it. We couldn't pay the bill. And so he paid the bill for us and gave us his receipt. It's paid for. I fought your battle. I fought the battle over sin, over Satan, and all adversity. Here it's done. It is finished. Here you go. Here's my victory. And that makes you more than a conqueror because you didn't have to do squat except just believe and rest in his victory that he won for us at the cross. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We are more than a conqueror. Through who? Through him who loved us. And Paul would say in this passage, he would say, in verse 38, he would say, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, I have become persuaded of that, convinced, fully convinced of it, no doubt about it in our heart. Again, sometimes we know some things up here, but we really don't have it in our heart. But being fully persuaded is getting it down into your spirit, getting it way, way deep down in your spirit how much he loves you. I said, how much he loves you. So you can wake up every morning knowing that he's not waiting for you to perform a little bit before he loves you. But he loves you before you do anything. He's not waiting for you to jump through some hoops before he says, okay, that's good now. Now I love you, Fido. As if we're a dog performing tricks for him. But before you and I do anything, just simply because you believe and you are his, he says, I love you. And nothing will separate us. Nothing will separate you from my love. I ask you tonight, are you persuaded of that? (laughs) Have you become convinced of that? That there is no trial, there is no attack of the enemy, there is no person Not even your own feelings and your own flesh can convince you that somehow there's a separation there. No, no, no. Always he has his love for you. In the trial, he says, I love you. In the affliction, he says, I love you. In the attack of the enemy, he says, I love you. In the good times, he says, I love you. At all times, he says, I love you. Mm. Can you stand to your feet tonight? Praise the Lord. Are you persuaded? I have become persuaded. And I'm growing in that persuasion more and more of the great love that God has for us. You know, when we see, when we see the great love that God has for us, as, he, as his love works in us by the inner working of the Holy Spirit, it will automatically flow through us. It will, it will operate through. You really can't know the love of God without it coming out somehow, some way. You know what God's love will do on the inside, flowing and operating in you through me? He'll deal with you about loving those that you can't love in the natural. You've tried to, you've worked at it, but you can't do it. You see, the love of God will cause you to lay your life down for people that hate you because that's what the cross was all about, him laying his life down for those who spit on him, who lied on him. See, the love of God working on the inside of us, and this, I tell you, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. You can't produce it yourself. But as you believe... As you look to the cross, not only as the means or the the source of the victory over your of of sin and every part of the enemy, but as the source of his love flowing to you and operating in you and through you. If you look to the cross as the source of love, I tell you what, his love will operate through you. And you'll find yourself loving those in the natural you can't love. And if you, if you just get rebellious, <laughs> he'll deal with you, he'll chastise you because Hebrews 12 says, he chastens those whom he loves. He loves you tonight. He loves you tonight. Father, we just thank you, Lord, tonight for the great power of your love that you have for us. Lord, that unconditional Lord, unselfish, sacrificial giving of yourself at the cross that you continually have for us, Lord. We ask the Lord you would open up our eyes as Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 that we would know the height and the depth and the width of your love that passes knowledge. Lord, give us revelation knowledge of the great love that you have for us that was manifested at the cross. Let us see it, Lord. Open our eyes. And I pray that tonight that you would bring hope to those who feel hopeless. That you would bring strength to those who feel like they have no strength. That you would bring peace to those who feel like they have no peace. That you would pour in love to those who have been filled with hatred. Fill them with love tonight. Right now in the name of Jesus as they look to you, Christ. And we say it all in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.